If we stop and think about it, God's dreams and desires for humanity are immense and grand for all of us to be saved, to be with him, to know him, and to love him. And yet, if we look at it in detail, God has a very awkward and inefficient way of going about living this out, of manifesting this among us. God desires to make covenant with us, to restore what we had had in the beginning in the garden, to be able to walk in the gentleness of the breeze and be with God. And he goes to this man from Ur, who is old and doesn't have a child, and gives him one child in the absolute end of his life, and says, from you I will bring and build a covenant. And when he builds that covenant, when he goes and finalizes that covenant in the, in the law, gives it to Moses, he gives it to a people who have just been freed from slavery, who are wandering almost aimlessly in the desert. And when they go into the promised land, they do not rise and become a great world power, but are an obscure, powerless, random state that spends most of its time as a vassal state of other more powerful governments. And when God himself in Jesus Christ comes into the world, he comes in silence and obscurity in Bethlehem and spends the overwhelming majority of his life in obscurity and silence. But when he goes about preaching, yes, he encounters many people, but he spends almost all of his time with 12 men. And even one of them abandons him. Not only that, but when he really teaches, as we see in the gospel, when he truly reveals who he is, he goes even smaller and reveals it to just the three, Peter, James, and John. And yet, we stand here. We stand in brotherhood and sisterhood with the billions who have come before us, who have accepted and followed after Jesus. Because God loves us so much, his plans are so great, he has the audacity, the love, to make it personal. God came into this world. God made covenant with Abraham. God died for you. Not you, plural. You, specifically. This is the grandeur of God's love. Is that the love, the perfect love, that the Father and the Son have for each other. He has for you. That transformation that Jesus has on Tabor, or he has transfigured before the apostles. Sometimes we get very comfortable because we say the transfiguration over and over again. Maybe your home parish growing up was transfiguration. You all, we, we, it's a name, it's a, it's a word. We're comfortable with it. It should shake us to our very core. To be changed from one figure to another. The Greek word here is a, is a derivative, a metamorphosis. To go from one figure to and across to another. That is what God has in store for you also. The power of God's love is its grandeur, but also its intimacy and particularity. As we heard from St. Paul's reading our St. Paul's letter to the Romans in the second reading, he who did not spare his own son but handed him over for us all, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? On the cross, Jesus thought of you. 
on Tabor, Jesus loved you. This is the power of God's love for us. That we are not only called to know that, to be in relationship with that, but the power of the sacraments is such as that we are called to have unity with that love. Communion with. To be with God in this life and to be with Him forever in the next. That God loves you in the same way He loves the Son. Perfectly, intimately, and desires that union for you. We are called, however, to follow after that. To make changes in our life. To follow the example of Jesus. And as we see in both the first reading and and we hear more explicitly in the second reading, to follow after God means being willing to give up everything that we value in this world. We need to be willing to offer God everything. Now this doesn't mean we have to go and and sacrifice our firstborn, but we should be willing in our lives to see everything as a gift to the Lord. To hold nothing back but to offer because the Lord has loved us so we love in return. And especially during the season of Lent, brothers and sisters, this isn't a figurative thing. We need to give and to give sacrificially to the poor. Not just to those things in our life, that's important too, but to the poor and those who do not have. Those who are, especially because of the pandemic, in desperate need. We can't just sacrifice the things that are easy and convenient. We must be willing to sacrifice for the good of those in our life and for the good of all. But not only are we called to make sacrifices, to offer everything we have as a gift to the Lord, we are also called to climb the mountain. And this is where it gets intimate and personal. Jesus climbs the mountain with Peter, James, and John. You already have, through your friends and family, those people to whom the Lord has called you to climb the mountain. And perhaps you are the one who is leading another up the mountain. Maybe you're being dragged by mom or dad, brother or sister or friend up the mountain. But the Lord is calling you. And the Lord is putting people in your life to help you, to assist you. Not so that you can toil and drudge up the mountain, but so that He can show you who He truly is, and not only who He truly is, but what He desires for you. We are called to be transfigured. In the Lord, we shouldn't even recognize ourselves in the past. Yes, we have our habits and our brokenness, and we carry those with us always. Trust me, I know very intimately that reality. But we are called ever and always to be transformed and renewed in the Lord. A few years ago, I I, I went to college in in Richmond, Virginia. And because it's in Richmond, Virginia, and I live in the Midwest and took about poverty, I don't get to Richmond, Virginia often. It was the first time I'd been on campus, and it was like 10 years after I graduated college. And I remember walking around campus, and and it's it's like a Hallmark card. It's like like a country club going to where I went to school. And there's a lake in the middle of it, and it's all beautiful and all this stuff. And on one side of the lake is the dining hall, and the other side of the lake is the library. And I made that walk thousands of times when I was there as an undergrad. And as I was walking, because I had breakfast with one of my old professors, and you walk uh, through the commons toward the library, I recognized 
campus. It was, it was changed a little bit, but I, I knew exactly where I was, and I could remember all of those things that I had thought and done in my college years. But I didn't know who I was anymore there. Because the man I was in college versus the man I was 10 years later as a priest were different. Yes, there were a lot of similarities, obviously, but there were a lot of differences as well. And that's what discipleship does for us. It changes us. It makes us fuller into who we are and ought to be. We must be willing to sacrifice and give. We must be willing to climb the mountain and we must be willing to invest as God does in us in intimate personal relationships. And that's my last point today. The world is in need of change and transformation. It will not be changed by you going on a Twitter rant or yelling from a mountaintop. But the world will be changed in relationships and intimacy, where you learn how to love and be loved by people with whom you disagree, where you learn how to build relationships across ideological, political, religious, you name it, those divides, and can sit and can love and can listen and can honor each other. Because that's the love God has for us. It's inefficient, it's awkward, it's messy. But that's the love that transforms and changes us in relationship to God and will change the world. Yes, God has ways that are not our ways, as he tells us in the prophet Isaiah. He does things that make us scratch our heads sometimes. He reveals his fullness and we don't quite understand it. But he calls and he beckons. Will you give it all to him? Climb the mountain and build those deep, meaningful relationships with the people in your life.